Man, when's the last time you actually just sat in silence or, or semi-silence and had a chance just to stop and get to your soul at all? I, I feel like so much of the time in our, in our life, we, we just are going so hog wild that we never get a chance just to stop and go, yeah, really? What is going on inside of here that I want God to work on in my own heart? And what's going on around me that I would love to see God work on? Anybody in here want to see something change? Anybody have anything you want to see change? Okay, you're human. Excellent. And I know I do. I want to see things change in me. I want to see things change in my world. Recently, I I think for my own life, I've just been challenged myself as well just to say, when am I going to stop playing the game? Um, I just realized there's so much of who God made me to be, just David Michael Nelson. And in my own life, my own personality, my own quirks, my own shortcomings, my own fault, you know, just the, the good things inside me, the bad things inside me. But I'm realizing lately, man, I want to see in this one life that I've got, I want to see my life be everything that God designed it to be. Anybody else want to see your life be everything that God called for it to be? I, I don't want to, you know, lay in a box someday and, and go see Jesus and go, well, it was okay. You know, that, that's not, that is not what I'm longing for. And so I've done a couple things. You know, I have a guy that I meet with every week for accountability. I don't know if anybody, anybody else does that. Um, but I finally got like extra serious this time. And I, I made a list. In fact, I went through what I did is I went through Second Peter, that series we did, Everything That You Need. And if you guys remember that, where week after week we went through what God told us. He goes, if you just add these things to your life, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive and knowing me. So what I did is I took those seven things and I just thought, well, what could I do in those seven ways to, so I could add those things into my life? And, and I actually made a spreadsheet and I have this list of things that I want to do, that I really want to do. And I know if I do them, my life's going to be more of what God desired it, for be, it to be. And I actually stuck it on the fridge so Susie could see it. Woo, she says. That's, I don't know. But that is, I mean, I, I am just at this point in my life. When I think about change your world... See, the first place that has to start is right here. I need God to change my world that's going on inside of me. And so I'm asking for that. And, um, and then I think about um, all these people in my life. Anybody here, how many of you right now, as you sat there, you maybe thought of somebody else in your world, who's in your world, that you desire something better and something to change for them? Anybody got How many of you have someone like that? Okay. If you have a compassionate heart at all, you have somebody. Because all around us and people in this world. And so I think about that. I go, God, I want you not just to move. I want you to move in in the people around me in my world. I I was thinking about, you know, we put up there your neighborhood. Um, And I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think about my neighborhood a whole lot. I mean, I do somewhat, but um, lately I've been thinking about it some more. There's this building like right across from us, two doors down, that's been abandoned since the day we moved in. Six years, this place sits right on, you know, a main thoroughfare, and it's just abandoned. They finally boarded it up so people wouldn't get in there and do all their drugs and stuff. And now, like, I'm noticing graffiti all over the place. In fact, some stuff on our sidewalk, I can't even tell you what it is. So now your minds can just imagine. Enjoy. I mean, and so I look at that, and I've noticed graffiti all over. The Sugar House area is just increasing. And I'm thinking, wow, that's weird. Something's going on. That wasn't there when I first moved in. Friday night, Susie and I woke up at 
because we lay there and the head of our bed is to a window right behind us, there's guys right in our yard, right outside our window. And we're like, you know, who's, what's going on? Who, who's out there? And, and so and all of a sudden we see him kind of walk out and I run out to the back and I flick on the light and it's the police. So I come back in and I look out the window. I go, hello? <laughs> and he's like, it's police. We've got a prowler in the neighborhood. We've got our dogs and we're just checking things out. I'm like, okay, I think I want to see my neighborhood changed. You know, I mean, when that stuff starts happening right next to your bedroom window, I mean, it's, anyway, you want to see some things changed. And then I think about right here. I, I think about K2. You know, I'm giving my life to this, obviously. And um, man, I just, I love this church, which means um, you. Because <laughs> that's what the church is. It's, it's, it's a group of people. And I wonder, it's like, man, would there be some things that if we saw some things change here at K2, the church, what would happen? And I was sitting there just last night kind of dreaming about what some of those things are. And I, I mean, I long. Like, I I just look at some of you who I'm actually spending some more time with. And those of you who I know and those of you I don't, there is nothing more that I would love to see happen than for your personal experience of the living God to change. I would love nothing more than this year that you would figure out in your own personal life all by yourself that you would know how to tap in to the God who has everything that you need for your life and who loves you deeply. And I know that in this world and in America and being human, we struggle with spending any time whatsoever with him at all except maybe an hour here. And I'd love, I just want to tell you, man, that's one thing I would love to see. I'd love to see that change here because I can tell you this right now. If all of us in this room started connecting with God, the living God on a daily basis, you will never be the same. And if you all individually would never be the same, then I don't think K2 the church would ever be the same. <laughs> and you guys, that's, that's totally possible. That totally can happen this year. And I, that's just one of the things I want to see happen. You know the other thing I, I, I long to see happen, I want to see changed here? I'll be t- I'm going to be totally vulnerable. It was really weird for me. A couple weeks ago, I was on vacation, but I decided to stop in here on a Sunday. And I, I came out the side door uh, over there, and I walked across this, this white warehouse. And um, I passed probably 15 to 20 people past me. I didn't recognize one face. I'm the pastor. I don't even know you. I don't even know who comes to my church. I really don't. And you know what? I love that. I love the fact that I don't know you. I love the fact that people feel comfortable coming to K2 and checking it out, that you bring your friends, all that kind of stuff. I think that's fantastic. But you know what I want to see change? What I want to see changed is that every single one of you that are in this place would be arm in arm in a significant, deep friendship with someone in this place. Here's one thing I know. We are a very lonely people. We're a very lonely people. And you know what? We don't need to be. We've got opportunities out the gazoo for connection. So that's one of the things I just, when I think about changing K2, I think, man, I want you to know Jesus personally, and I want you to do it arm in arm with other people and have great friendships. And you know what? I could go on for the rest of the service and not give the rest of the message about what I long for. But I want to see things change. Anybody else? Okay, thank you, the three of you. 
Um, but I, I really do. And, and you know why I think I do? Is I know that God longs to see things change. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he calls you what? A new creation. The old is gone and the new's come. It's a change. It's a metamorphosis. It's, it's a totally new thing. So anyway, I want to see some change, but sometimes we just get stuck. You ever been stuck? Um, I've been stuck um, uh, a few times. Susie and I got stuck. I shared the story in the winter. We got my, our, our, actually, uh, our friend's car stuck in the mountains in the snow. Uh, anybody ever been stuck in the snow? And so we're sitting there. This vehicle slides off, gets stuck in this ditch. But because I'm such a strapping young man... I had the strength and the power to push that car out all by myself. True, honey? Thank you. So, <clears throat> no, it was, I mean, I didn't, and to be honest with you, man, I didn't think I was going to be able to, but I did. Under my own power, I was stuck, and yet I could push that vehicle out, and we kept going. And I think sometimes in life, some things happen to you, you get stuck, you know, you're not really being everything that you want to be, your life isn't good, work, school, family, whatever, and sometimes you just, <clears throat> you just muster it up and you go, <clears throat> I can change that, and you do. Good for you. Um, this summer, or actually in, in May, we were back in Michigan for my niece's wedding, and my dad's wife, uh, in our home that I grew up in, we have a turnaround, and it's just flat, it's flat as the stage, but it had been raining, and the turnaround is in uh, actual just grass, so it's not really graveled or anything. She was taking Mariah out to go shopping, and they went around the thing. Next thing you know, my dad hear this, you know, and her wheels are just spinning. And, you know, she didn't know what she was doing, so she's just, you know, she's just spinning and spinning, and the wheels are getting down, and she's stuck, right? Well, I'm looking out there. I'm like, well, I'm a strapping young lad. You know, this is nice and flat. It's May. The flowers are out. I'll push this thing out. I could not push that dumb car out. Couldn't do it. You ever been stuck in your life? And as hard as you tried, you couldn't do it? See, that's frustrating. So my dad and I, we go to his woodshed and we grab these wooden planks, right? You come out and you stick the planks underneath the tire, give it some traction. Eventually, after about five or ten minutes more, rocking the vehicle, rocking it. Boom, we get it off and it takes off. See, sometimes you need something else outside yourself to get unstuck. I'm telling you. My accountability that I have with this guy in my life, my relationship with my wife, being open and vulnerable with her, and the staff here on the management team and our openness with each other. You guys, I'm telling you this right now. You cannot go through this life alone. If you want to get unstuck and you think you're just going to pull up your bootstraps and make it happen, you'll, you'll get out of some situations. There will be others you will never get out of. And you will never get traction and you will never move in your life without somebody else beside you. God created us for it and we need it. All right? Now, you ever been really stuck? When I was uh, probably uh, in early college, uh, my brother had gone out to do some errands or something, my younger brother, and he, was, uh, he had just been driving, he's 16 years old. He comes walking up our long driveway and we're thinking, that's not good because Mike left in a car. <clears throat> And he's coming back, and he's not in one. So Mike walks up, and he says, Hey, uh, you know, Dad, sorry, I, I put the car in the ditch. And we're like, all right, so what do we do? We go to the woodshed, and we grab the planks, because that's what you do when you're stuck in the ditch. My older brother Mark and I, my dad and Mike, we all jump in the car. We go down uh, Valentine Road, which was this dirt road out in Michigan, looking for the car. We go all the way by Valentine's Road. There's no car. 
We're like, Mike, I thought you were stuck in the ditch. He's like, oh, yeah, it's back there. So we turned the car around. He wasn't in the ditch. The dude drove into the field. I mean, he went, uh, I mean, I got to tell you, as brothers, right, Mark and I, my orders, I mean, we are just dying laughing. I mean, he was going full bore, went through the ditch, up the other side, and totally into some guy's field. And we're like, yeah, Mike, you put the car in the ditch. You know, I mean, when you're in that kind of ditch, when you find yourself in the field, you take your planks, you don't even bring them out. Because this ain't going to help at all. And you humble yourself, not me, him, but you humble yourself and you walk to the guy, the farmer, and you ask him to bring his tractor. And he has to chain up the car and pull the car out. I mean, now, have you ever found yourself stuck where you couldn't muster it up and push yourself out? Have you ever found yourself stuck where your buddies around you and the people that are actually in your life can't help you either? I wish you had more time to think about your own heart so that you could know right now, today, what are the things in your life that you can't change? Can't change them. Who are the people around you trying to change them? Can't change them. Can't change my work, my neighborhood, my outside world. Can't change my inside world. Okay, today... Obviously, let me give you the pat answer, which is true. You need Jesus Christ in your life. He is the one whom he says, all things are possible with me. All things are possible with me. But can I just bypass the fact you need Jesus Christ in your life for a second? And I want to ask you a very vulnerable question. Those of you sitting in this room, and you have Jesus Christ in your life, and you're sitting in the field, can you, anybody else, anybody want to raise your hand? Anybody? Have Jesus Christ in your life and you're sitting in the field. Oh, you bunch of free, bunch of liars. <laughs> are you serious? You mean you guys are that good at Christians that you're just in the ditch and all you need is people? Let me ask you again. How many of you have Jesus Christ in your life and you are stuck in a field? Okay, thank you. That's a little more vulnerable. You know, I mean, seriously, we can play games at church and because, you know, you know, look all nice and come in with our smiley faces. And yes, our marriages are all together. My kids always be having, I'm at peace all the time. You a bunch of liars. Let's be honest with ourselves. Because if you're not honest with yourself and honest with God, nothing's going to change. So what I want to share with you today, you guys, is this. What I realize I need, I need more of him. Because I'm your pastor I'm in fields, okay? There are things in my life that I don't understand, that I can't get a handle on. I still have hurdles that I've been battling for years, and, you know, you just, I just want to get over them. And so what I realize is I need more of him, and I need less of me. I mean, that's really what I'm talking to you about today. If you really want to change your world, really, not just do this, like, hey, neat little theme for a church. If you really want to change your world, internally in your own heart and the one around you, then you need more of God and you need less of yourself because he's the one who changes things, not yourself, when it gets into the deeper things. And so in scripture, there's a practice which people engaged in when things seemed a little more serious, a little more critical, a little more difficult, a little more important, and Susie gave me the word, and a little more desperate. 
And what you do is you find people in the Bible all the time, people who love God with all their hearts in serious, critical, difficult, important, and desperate situations. And you know what they did? They fasted. They fasted. Now, that's interesting. In this series, Change Your World, there were three things that were at the center of Jewish piety. We've been looking at them. Three things. Giving to those who were in need, which was the first one, Matthew 6. Then prayer. And the third one was fasting. Now, so, so here's my question for you real quick. How many of you in here, can, can we just be honest today? Is this cool? All right. How many of you in this room right here have never fasted for a spiritual reason? Go ahead and just raise your hand. How many of you have never done that? Okay, I, I knew that it would be uh, most of us. Um, because uh, we just don't think about this. We don't talk about it. Um, and so, but here it is, and it's in the scripture we're going through, so we're going to do that. What is fasting? It's almost always tied with humility. This was the great mystery for me as I studied this this last couple weeks. Fasting is always tied with humility. Humble yourselves. You always find it tied with humbling yourself. And then you fast. Well, what's humbling yourself? Humbling yourself is saying, less of me, more of you. Less of me, more of you. It's abstaining from food for spiritual reasons. And if you think about it, you know right now that humankind, men and women, are both physical, now they're, they're physical, we have body, we have mind, and we have spirit. Now, one of the things we do is we differentiate, we differentiate between those, do we distinguish them because they're different, right? Our body is different than our mind, which is different from our spirit. But at the same time, you guys, you can't separate them, okay? You can distinguish them, but you can't separate them. Because to be human means you have a body, right? And it means you have a spirit, and it means you have intellect and you have a mind. That's what it means to be human. And somehow all those three things are in tied together to make you what you are today. And so somehow what we do physically actually affects us spiritually. <laughs> because you're a human being. You can't separate the things. So somehow fasting has a spiritual impact. Now, so I looked this up. This was very interesting to me. So I look it up in the Greek because that's what a good scholar does, right? You know what the word means in the Greek? No eating. (laughs) So, if you want to study that some more, we can get into that. No eating. Okay, got that one? You might write write that down. So here's what was interesting, though, because I asked Sue, I go, but the interesting thing to me was, but why in the English did we decide to use the word fast? How does, you know, fast mean I don't eat? You know, and so I was just intrigued. So I went to the etymology of that word, and I'm like, and it was actually pretty interesting. The root word for fast means firmly fixed, steadfast, to hold firmly. Okay, so like a shutter is fast. It's hold, it holds fast. It means it's together. So basically, when we got to this whole idea about running fast, what it meant was you run hard. You run vigorously. You go for it. You hold fast to it. You go after something. So then when you got to this whole idea of fasting... Literally, what it meant was to hold firmly, to get firm control of yourself. See, because fasting is this thing that, man, the reason we don't do it is I can't do that. Are you kidding? I'm an American. I mean, I need my three full meals and six if you're on an exercise program. You know, I mean, I need, to, I need to all this stuff, and if I don't have that, this is dangerous. You know, and it's like, no, it's, it's, it's actually an amazing way of self-control. And really the essence, you guys, of a fast 
is self-denial in order that you can direct your thoughts on God. Because what you'll find in our life, if you've ever done this, is you'll be amazed at how fixed and held fast you are on so many things but God. (laughs) Anybody relate? Man, we are totally fixed on our jobs or our wife or our kids or our hobbies. Food! And then you take that out and then you realize all of a sudden it's like, wow, I am not holding fast to God. Dallas Willard says, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in Him a source of sustenance beyond food. Fasting unto our Lord is therefore feasting. It's feasting on Him instead of all the other things of this world. And again, you guys, if you want to change your world, and if you want to change something inside you that won't change, if you want to change the community around you or your workplace or your family, then what you need is more of God and less of you. And when fasting says, I deny myself, who's like, more, I need more. And you go, no, uh-uh. All of a sudden, somehow it has a spiritual impact of getting more of God and his perspective and him into your into your life. It's a physical commitment for a spiritual result. That's what fasting is. All right? So, let's go to Matthew. Chapter 6, verse 16. Here we go. And Jesus says, we've been going through this whole Matthew 6 is the the passage we're going through. Again, and as I already shared with you, he said, hey, you know, when you give to the needy, he talked about that. That's one of the first things important to the Jewish people. Secondly, when you pray. That was the second mark of a really committed, faithful Jewish person. And now the third one, when you fast. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting. But only to your Father who is unseen And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, three things, because that's what a good pastor does, is tell you three things. Three things, though, that hit me from this passage. The first one is this. Write these things down. Number one, when you fast. When you fast. See, now here's what's wild. Somehow we have missed out on a spiritual practice that was normal in that time. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you fast... Do this. He said, what did he say? When you fast. In other words, it's like he's just taking it for granted. I know you guys do this, so let me just share with you when you do it, how you should do it. Uh, And and what's interesting is in the first verse, verse, Matthew 6, 1, he said, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll reward from Father. So basically what he is saying is fasting is an act of righteousness. Fasting is is a really good thing. How many of you, two weeks ago, when we talked about taking your resources and giving to those who are in need, struggle with it? I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. I mean, no, because everybody in the world goes, that's good. I mean, you don't even have to love God or Jesus or nothing, man. We give to the poor. That's good. You know, and then secondly, how many, when we talked about prayer, you were like, I don't know. I don't know if I should, you know, I don't know if I should do that. Well, no, we don't, again, the whole world prays. Every time they do a survey, we find out everybody prays. When you fast. Huh. Yeah, but that, that's hard. That's a little more difficult. That's, that, that will cause me some discomfort in my tummy. 
And so anyway, but Jesus is so apparently saying, hey, I just want to tell you, you want an act of righteousness? You're committed to this? Let's fast. So when you fast, now remember, what you're doing when you fast is you're humbling yourself. You're saying, I want more of you and less of me. Okay, so here's the question. When do you fast? When should you do this, okay? I went through every verse in the scripture that mentions fasting. Let me tell you when you should fast. The first one, number one, is when God tells you to, okay? If God tells you to fast, like, okay, I'll fast. So the first time you're going to find fast in the Bible is in Leviticus chapter 23. And God, I I can't get into all this teaching, but he establishes the day of atonement, the day of cleansing, the day, the one day of the year where all of your sin is going to be wiped away. And he says, in this moment, humble yourself before me and fast. And he says, and do this for generations to come. So God tells you to do it. Israelites go, cool, we're in that fasting one day a week. Leviticus 23. Number two, when do you fast? When you are desperate for him. When you're desperate for God, then you fast. Let me give you some examples. Judges chapter 20, the Israelites kept losing these battles against the Benjamites. They go up and fight and they lose. Like, wait a second, we're the Israelites. 20,000 men were taken out. They go to God and they go, hey, God, should we do this? Maybe should we do this? He goes, yeah, go ahead and go for it. They go up and they fight them again. They lose again. Lost 18,000 men that time. So then you know what they did the third time? What are we talking about? They fasted. Very good. The third time, they were desperate. Now, if you read Judges, one of the things you realize, all the way through Judges, the Israelites were so proud they didn't care less about God, they wanted to do their own thing. But when they got desperate, they fasted. And then they won. Okay, number two. Second Samuel chapter 12, when, when David had, had messed up with Bathsheba, had the baby out of wedlock, all that kind of stuff, the baby was stricken ill. What did David do? Fasted because he was desperate. Uh, Ezra chapter 8, they're getting ready to, uh, to go into Israel, or uh, again, because they've, they've been in exile. And they're walking through, and they just know, as we go from here to here, there's a great chance we're just going to get bombarded. So they fasted to God and said, please give us a safe journey. Nehemiah chapter 1. When he, when he looked at this and he saw and he found out, again, Nehemiah was in exile. Jerusalem was huge and awesome. And he heard that all the gates were broken down and everything was a mess. And he said, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Because he was desperate to see something happen for Israel and for Jerusalem. Esther chapter 4, she has to go before the king, right? You don't go before the king. If you go before the king, they kill you. But she has to go before the king. So what does she do? She says, go then and gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That's a great story. We need to teach on that one. Esther was desperate. If I do this, I might die. I'm fasting. Daniel chapter 9. Again, the desolation of Jerusalem was coming. He fasted. So you know what you do, guys? When you're in a desperate situation, something's a little more important, a little more difficult, a little more, I'm in the field, and I need to get out of here. You fast. Now, when's another time that you're desperate for him? Here's the third time you fast. When you've been far away from God. It's amazing to me how many times in the scripture when the Israelites were far away from God, what they did is they fasted and they humbled themselves and they confessed their sin. Some of you right now, man, you've, you've, had, you've tasted sweet moments with God and you're in the field 
and you've been BSing yourself, and all, can I say that? I'm sorry. But you have been. You've been BSing yourself and your friends. And you've been saying, oh, I'm in the ditch. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. You are so stuck. You are so far away from God. And you are living a life so in rebellion against him. And one of the things he says is when you're that far away, then humble yourself and come to me and fast. First Samuel chapter 7. They, the Israelites were worshiping other gods and then Samuel said on that day they fasted and they, were con- and they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord. Here's a great one. First King 21. Ahab. Listen, listen to what it says about Ahab. Maybe this is you today. It says, There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Woo! How many want that title? You know, I'm proud of that one, man. There's never been a man like me. Never been a man like me who did so much evil in the eyes of the Lord. Urged on by Jezebel, his wife, by the way. And then you know what he did? He humbled himself and he fasted. And God went to the prophet and he said, hey, have you seen Ahab? Do you see how he's making himself meek and humble? He says, and then he, this is amazing to me. And God said, I will not put the punishment on him during his lifetime. The most evil person. If you humble yourself and confess your sin, and maybe throw a fast in there to do that before God. God loves to show mercy. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. It's on the screen here. It says this. That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is time. Come on, you guys. Some of you right now, you know if you keep going, it's just going to completely fall apart. Come to me now while there is time and give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief. Instead, tear your hearts. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful. He is not easily angered. He is filled with kindness and is eager not to punish you. Who knows? I love this. Perhaps even yet He will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this terrible curse. Perhaps he will give you so much that you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord, (laughs) your God as before. So for some of you, it's like, man, I'm in desperate situation because God is so far away from me. Today, you could humble yourself before God because he doesn't want to punish you, but he will. He will because he loves you. But it's just like your kid. Come on, we don't have to go through this. Just tell me the truth, you know. Okay, another time you get desperate is for guidance. Anybody ever been desperate for guidance? Oh my gosh. Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat, the king finds out, man, oh boy, we're going to come from every side. They're coming against me. Whew, you're the king. What do you do? Alarmed. That's the first thing you do. I get it. We're in trouble. Secondly, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. What are we going to do? I'm going to proclaim a fast. Judges chapter 20, the same thing. When they were losing and they didn't know what to do, they went and they went to God for guidance. Another time you get desperate, you guys, is for preparation. 
Anybody ever have something coming ahead of you, like a South Campus or something like that? Anybody of you ever have something ahead of you and you had to get prepared for it and you wanted to make sure you were ready for the task, right? Ever been there? Okay. Jesus Christ, he's a good model. He gets baptized, the dove floats down from heaven, the Holy Spirit lands on him. God the Father says, you are my son, I love you and I'm well pleased. Let's get to work. Spirit leads him to the desert. What does Jesus do? First thing, what's he do? He fasts. For 40 days, he fasts. You know why? Because he wanted to feast. He knew right now, man, I want to be, this is so it. This is all it. I don't want to get it caught up in nothing else. So I'm going to prepare myself by fasting. And then the last one, you guys, is sometimes you're just desperate because you just want more of him. Anybody ever been there? Like we sing these worship songs and we, you know, but have you ever from your heart said, I am hungry for you. You are the air that I breathe. I want more of you. I'm desperate from you. In Acts 13, it says, while they were worshiping and fasting. See, they were worshiping God and they were fasting because they wanted to make sure that nothing else in the world was taking away from them from God. Okay, so that's when you fast. If God asks you to, and when you're desperate, and there's lots of different ways where you can be desperate. Can I just give you a few examples? Like for me, the first time I ever fasted, I, I, I probably, you know, I, I think I'd done some small ones, but I was in California going, working on my master's. And I had left my church in, in Detroit, and I was getting, you know, and I'd done a fall semester, went back for Christmas, and I was hopping on the plane, and I was flying back. And um, this was one of those preparation things. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea if I'd ever do ministry again. All I knew was this year, when this year's done, I need, to, I need to know. And all of a sudden I started thinking, this is a really, really critical year. I need God bad. And you guys, the only way I can tell you this is I felt like an invitation. I felt like, ding, you know. And the mail came and I opened it up and in my heart, I just felt like God said, then why don't you fast? And so I did. I chose to go for it. And I did a 40-day fast in January and February of uh, 1998. And um, wow. Wow. When I was done with that, I remember saying, I'm doing that every January because I cannot begin to tell you how intimate, how loving, how intense my relationship with God became. It was weird. I've shared with you guys here a time of confession that I had where I sat at the fireplace. I don't know if you guys remember this. And I, I just sat there for hours and I just confessed everything I could think of, anything I'd ever done my whole life. And I pictured there Jesus going, thank you. And he had this big door and he'd throw it in and then he'd, and he'd go, all right, done. Give me the next one. And I just went, I gave, that happened during my fast. It was a time where God just said, you know what, dude, you are so carrying stuff still. Give it to me. Humble yourself. Lay it all before me, be completely honest, and let me clean you. Let's, let's just, let's move on. That was, that was my first fast. The second fast happened because I was doing the Atkins diet. And uh, you couldn't have any sugar or carbs. And, uh, but I was done with the Atkins right at the time Luther Ellis called me to consider planting K2. And I remember saying, man, I am not taking one step west. 
unless I know that this is what God has for me to do. So you know what I did? I kept going. Not for physical reasons anymore, but to say, until I hear from God, I'm not going to have any sugar. That was my partial fast. You'll find those in the scriptures through Daniel as well. And every time it would happen, you just, you, it, it was amazing. So I did that. The third time was two years ago. We went on a ride here for two years. And all of a sudden, here at K2, I just said something was different. I could sniff it. Like last night when I was riding my bike and I could sniff the barbecue. Oh, it's horrible. You sniff it in the air. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew this. There was a critical spirit that started to come up. Our momentum had started to wane. Um, people just didn't, I mean, we were just giving our lives to this place, and now all of a sudden, people didn't want to give their life to it anymore. And I was like, okay, <laughs> something's funky here. So I asked the staff, and I said, we need to fast and we need to pray, because we need to find out what the deal is. Because I don't want to be a church that's normal. I don't want to be the American church that gets together and does the religious thing. And I don't want that. I don't want nothing to do with that. So God, what's going on? See, because sometimes when you don't understand what's happening, but you know it's not what it should be, then you fast and you seek after God. And then you guys, for me, it's just when I can feel my life veering away from God. And I'm spending way too much time doing stuff that I shouldn't do and I don't have control over my body anymore and it's just being wacky then I just know, I tell you this, if I can fast, I know it'll help me. You guys, and here's, I want to tell you this, this is the honest truth. There has been nothing that I've done in my 22 years of seriously, no, that way, I'm sorry, 20, almost 25 years now of seriously following Jesus, there has been nothing that has been more powerful in me getting my life completely focused on Jesus than fasting. And it's, it's just weird. I don't get it, to be honest with you, but I know it works. <laughs> and you know what I do when I fast? Because like the Bible said, even Jesus after 40 days, it says he got hungry. Hmm. When I experience the hunger from fasting, I have a phrase he gave me, and I use it all the time, and it's simply this. You know what I say? I want you more. I want you more. One of the coolest things about fasting is you'll feel hungry and the pain will come up, and your body goes, I need this. And then you go past your body, and you go to your soul, and your soul goes, I need God. And then you choose to say, I want you more. I want you more. And all I know is, in Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, the eyes of the Lord roam the earth. And they look, the eyes of the Lord, right now today, are roaming the earth, And they're looking for those whose hearts are completely his so that he can strengthen them. And I do know this, that fasting is one very powerful way to get your heart to be completely his. Some of you are in a ditch and you're way out there. Some of you are kind of in the ditch, but you're stuck, man. You're just, this. I want to say, anyway, You're at a place where this is not satisfying to you. You're not on fire for Jesus. You're caught up in all these things, but if you really stopped and thought about it, there's some things you'd love to see change. And I just want to encourage you to consider fasting. Because if you do, apparently, he will come. Now, really quickly, can I have the time? Oh, there it is. Sorry. 
can't never forget what we're doing here. I think I need to quit. <laughs> Sorry. Um, because I think one of the things that we need to be careful about, yes, I do. Okay. So, <clears throat> Brad, Ben, why don't you guys come on up? Because this is, this is really important here, though. That when you fast, you guys, you don't sit there and use this as a way to push God's button. Not like a slot machine, like, okay, God, well, now I'm going to fast, so now you've got to do what I want you to do. What you're doing when you're fasting is ultimately you're saying, no, I want more of you. And I want you to do what you want to do in my life. And I need you. And so um, when you fast, and I, I just think about this, for, for, for some of you, ser- seriously, try, start easy, start with like one meal a week. Just try one meal. But make sure you don't just not eat. You got to engage with God when you do that. <laughs> and then maybe go to the, a time where you take a whole day. And then every time when it's meal, you know what I did for supper? <laughs> I feasted on him. That's what I did. I, I would grab my Bible and I'd grab another book and I would pray for supper. Because <laughs> Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want to live. So maybe you get to the point where it's like, you know what? I want to see some change. I'm going to fast one day a week. I'm going to humble myself. And then you can keep going from there if you want. If any of you ever want to go on an extended one, I've done it three times, I'd be more than happy to, you can email me and I could share those things with you. But, um, but I just want to, the most important thing, you guys, is this. Do you really want more of him? And less of you. Because his eyes, it's what he wants. The Bible tells us God wants to change the world. But he wants to do it through you. So as Brad leads us here, and as we begin to close our time in worship, please don't sing songs, okay? Engage your heart with God in these songs and sing them from your heart. Tell him what you really want. Are you hungry? Then tell him and let him come in and take over inside of you. And during the first one here, we are going to take our offering, which again is just another beautiful way to say, I trust you and I give you, I just, I sacrifice myself. I want you. If you came today prepared to give because he's given you so much, then do it, man. Then pour it into him. One way to empty yourself so he can keep pouring into you. And let's humble ourselves right now before God because he says, if you humble yourself before me, I will lift you up. Let's do it together.